Can you describe what Archetypes is? Because I know that's kind of your brand on TikTok. Yeah, so Archetypes uh, come from Carl Jung originally. And um, I have a chipmunk outside who's making noises. Um, and I learned about Archetypes from Natalia Kolbikina, who I mentioned before. And I believe there was like a Russian book that, I forget the name of it because I haven't read it, but somebody had posted about it the other day that had done a lot about the archetypes as well, similar ones that I talked about. But I learned about it through Natalia several years ago, and it was like this eye-opening awakening that I had because I'd always thought I was supposed to be like Queen Bee, Boss Babe, and then I realized like, wait, you know, because I, I, I don't think I'm naturally like that but I had to force myself into this role. And then I realized like, wait, that's not who I am. And that's okay. Welcome to the Earth Shaking Conversations podcast. I'm the host, Clarina Paquette. Today, we have a very special guest. Her name is Alexi Turner, but you might know her better as Empress Collective on TikTok. So I'm going to give you the floor to kind of describe yourself, what you do, and what your channel is about. Yeah, so I'm Alexi. Nice to meet you all and talk to you again, Clarina. We have a podcast we've been collaborating on together. You guys want to check that out on my channel. But um, so yeah, I started off doing... Um, content on TikTok talking about femininity, archetypes of men and women, giving dating advice. I started talking about archetypes because I know a lot of women don't want to be the traditional female in a relationship. They want to be more progressive. They have more of that queen energy. And so I wanted to talk about all different types of women because we're not all fit into one box and different archetypes of men because they're not all fit in one box either. And I'm kind of known for talking about archetypes, femininity, um, fashion, relationships, all kinds of stuff when it comes to lifestyle. Yeah, that's awesome. So usually we, I always like to start my podcast kind of asking you a little bit about your childhood because I think that history is really important to people. So how was your childhood? Where did you grow up and how did you grow up? Yeah, so I was born on an Air Force base in North Carolina, and my father was in the Air Force, and we moved to Arkansas, so I grew up for the first 10 years of my life in Arkansas, and then we moved to Tennessee, and then we moved back to North Carolina, and so my father was in the Air Force for about the first 10 years of my life, and then he became an airline pilot, and he was gone a lot. He was deployed. He went to Bosnia. He lived in Saudi Arabia. Um, so he wasn't really around too much. My mom was a stay-at-home wife for the most part of my first 10 years of my childhood. Well, she was um, until um, my parents divorced. She went back to work. But um, I was a competitive athlete. I played softball. We were first in, first in the nation for softball, so I was really good at softball. I used to get paid by the parents for hitting the ball over the fence, so that was always fun. Um, making money off of my skill as a child. And I was a <laughs> cheerleader, dancer. We did gymnastics. My mom was my coach for everything. So we traveled every weekend to play sports. And um, my mom was a very strict parent, very much like, you're not going to sit at home and do nothing. We're going to, you know, do this and make things happen. And was very much about my education. I got moved up a grade and asked to move up a second grade um, for um, 
for school. And so my mom was really much about like, you have to be smart in the world. You have to have an education. You have to lead by your intelligence and not by your looks. She definitely wasn't one of these uh, moms that, you know, um, wanted me in beauty pageants. She didn't allow us to wear makeup. We weren't allowed to call boys. We were in a very traditional house. And, um, and yeah, so that's pretty much how I grew up. Yeah, that's awesome. So I, I just have a few questions about everything you said. Um, first of all, I just want to know how your parents' divorce affected you, um, just in general, and how it affected your lifestyle choices now. Yeah, I mean, it was traumatizing for me. I used to cry all the time, like, being like, why can't you guys just love each other? I mean, they didn't fight in front of us or anything like that. Um, I just remember it was like Halloween and my mom told me, and I remember she was doing my makeup. That was the only time I was allowed to wear makeup. And um, I think I was like a princess or something that year. And I remember crying and in her vanity room. And, um, you know, it just shattered my idea of love because I'm such a romantic for all of you astrology lovers. I'm a Taurus sun, Venus and Mercury. I'm a rising Libra. So I'm all Venus in my chart. So love is like everything to me. You know, I used to steal my mom's romance novels and, and read them. And so the fact that my parents were separating was like ultimate betrayal, you know, like how could this happen? So it really affected me like quite deeply. Um, and I would say that it affects my choices now because I definitely know 1000% when I have kids, I'm not getting a divorce at all. Like I'm going to make it happen. I think a lot of people take marriage lightly unless, you know, there's some real serious issues, but I think a lot of people think like, Oh, I'm going to get married. You know, if I get bored of the person, like the kids will work it out, you know, no, like for me, it's like marriage. Once I have kids, it's forever. And that's just how it's going to be. And, um, I really believe in like the traditional family unit. Like my grandparents were very much this kind of like beaver cleaver kind of family. We always had family gatherings at my grandparents' house and, you know, my family's still Southern. So like, you know, holidays are really important. Family gatherings are really important and family was always really important to me. So, um, so yeah, marriage and family and staying together like my grandparents did uh, for me is something that I really want to implement in my own life yeah and um <clears throat> okay so obviously i totally agree with you with all with the whole like family unit thing for me i know a lot of people who either don't have dads or you know their parents are divorced and it is a huge advantage and it's a privilege i would say and i i usually hate using the word privilege as people on my tiktok channel know because i just think it's just a, such an overused word, but people who, you know, have parents who stay together, it's truly a privilege. You know, my parents stayed together. I definitely, definitely agree that, you know, it, it's a lot better for children to have a two parent household. So how is like the family dynamic now? Is it still, um, yeah. How is it? Are they still like not talking? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, they they don't really. <laughs> yeah, they don't really talk. Um, my dad remarried, and he remarried like pretty soon after, and they had a kid together. And my mom remarried many years later, and 
she is retired and she has a great husband who takes care of her, provides for her and treats her really well. And my dad is still married. Um, I think him and his wife, my stepmom, they, they just went on like a one month long cruise to Europe or something to celebrate, I think their 20th anniversary. So they've been together, is it 20 years, maybe 25? I don't know. They've been together for a long time. I guess it is 20 years. Yeah, probably 20 years. Wow, that's a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my dad, um, he told my grandmother after seeing what me and my sister went through with their divorce that he just would never, ever do that again. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I lived, uh, when I first turned 18, I moved to an employer and he was divorced. And I saw the realities of like second marriage and you know, I was telling my parents, like, it is not a gift. Like for some people, I'm sure like for your father and mother, I'm sure probably, but there's definitely a darker side to, um, to like a second marriage. And I saw it firsthand cause I was living in that house with those two people and it was crazy. Like yeah. he was crazy. It comes with a lot of challenges. I don't think people really understand like the complexities of bringing in another parent around children and starting a second family and all of that kind of stuff. Like it is really hard. Like even my father was like, don't marry somebody with kids. Like don't, yeah. don't get yourself involved in something like that. And my partner, like he had said, you know, I told he, his family are together and never divorced. And he, he takes divorce kind of lighter. Like he's like, well, you know, if we just aren't really working out, then like a divorce is okay. I'm like, I don't think you really understand the implications of divorce because he never experienced it in his own life. Yeah. He doesn't understand like all of the problems that come along with it for parents, the step parents, the kids. It's, it's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And like what I saw when I was living at the two people at my employer's house was that, you know, uh, they both had like children on, on both sides and like, you know, the kids don't get along with the step parents and, you know, the mom takes the kid's side or the mom takes the dad's side or the mom's pissed because the dad goes to, or like, because her husband would go to help his daughter. Like it was just such a disaster. Yeah. And I saw that side, um, that I, it's honestly so, so great that I saw that because, you know, it really tells you like. Once you get married, that's it, you know, and I really, I don't believe in, in divorce too much. So, you know, once I get married, like, that's it, we're staying together. Or if we don't, I don't think I would ever get married again. Obviously, yeah, I can't. I mean, predict. Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus here, but I, you know, there definitely a lot of issues with my stepmom over, you know, not wanting my dad to spend time with me or, you know, I wanted to help him. I wanted him to help me move something or, or ha help me with something at one point. And she like, didn't want that to happen, you know, and she definitely, um, created a, a wedge between me and my dad in a way, not that me and him have any kind of animosity, but just like to where I don't really get to spend time with him or, um, yeah, that, you know, me and her aren't really close. Um, I never thought I would like say anything about her on the platform, but, um, 
you know, she has her own, I guess, ideas. I, I think it's hard for women who've never been married. She was never married. She okay. married my dad who had kids. And I think women, a lot of times when they do this, they become jealous of their mm -hmm. husband's kids and the time that they spend with their kids. And then when they had kid, a kid, um, you know, she wanted my dad to spend all of his time with her, her kid, not with us. Like we were already like pre-teenagers. Like we've had enough time with him. Like now his full attention should be on their kid. And it caused a lot of problems for sure. Yeah. And I can totally see that, um, that it, it would cause problems with that family dynamic. Um, I always recommend to my friends, like, do not date a guy with kids. Don't, especially since my friends are like 25. <laughs> so like, yeah. you know, at that age, you certainly, you know, don't have to, um, because, you know, for personally for myself, I don't like, I just couldn't do kids with a man or like, you know, someone else's kids, even if, you know, the wife tragically passed away and stuff. Like, I just, I just couldn't because it's just, it's just not my thing. Well, that's your preference. I mean, I think some people, um, I have a friend of mine who she loves the idea of having stepkids for her. It's like a great joy. You know, some women don't mind it. Some people can acclimate really well together. Um, I think it's rare, but I think if you fall in love with somebody, you make it work if that's your thing, but if that's a deal breaker for you, then that's, you know, non-negotiable, then you should definitely stick to your standard. Yeah. So how was your like high school journey? Like, tell me about that. <laughs> um, so high school was awful for me. I, you know, I, I went to school on a farm. I didn't fit in. I got made fun of. I we moved to North Carolina when I was in fifth grade, and um, I remember sitting in you know car riders when we would wait for our parents to pick us up, and the girls would sit around and like point at me and laugh. And I remember being at recess and hanging out with the teacher because no one would be my friend, and um, it was hard, you know. Like I ended up making friends. I was a cheerleader for several years, and I ended up making friends, but I always felt like kind of like the black sheep, a little bit of the outsider. Um, just didn't feel like I belonged any, you know, in, in any degree, um, for the last couple of years of high school, I was kind of a loner. I actually didn't even have my high school senior photos taken. I'm like not even in the yearbook because I was so checked out and I just wanted to leave. And, you know, I got in, uh, accepted into the fashion Institute in New York city. And I remember, um, I went to school in North Carolina and I remember, people I went to school with being like, oh, you're going to go move to New York and live with them Yankees. And, you know, it was just a very culturally um, different place for sure than New York. But yeah, I just never felt like I really belonged. And I would wear like little heels to school and people would be like, where are you going? The red carpet, you know? And I, I just always felt like I was picked on. Um, and in my head, I thought, yeah, one day I will be on the red carpet. And I have been able to go to red carpets. So I made that happen for myself. But um yeah, you know, it, it was difficult. I had signed up to go to foreign exchange, actually, when I was like 15. I made up this whole like, you know, scenario to my dad as to why this would be so great and, and pitched this whole story to him. And my dad literally was like, Lexi, you can just tell me that you hate living here and like you want to leave. And I was like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to leave. Like, send me to, send me to Australia. I signed up <laughs> Australia and London, those were my two options, but um, it didn't end up working out because I had applied too late. And um, okay. yeah, so um, 
that was my high school high school experience. <laughs> yeah, so I think you and I kind of had an opposite high school experience because I was bullied because I was a farmer. Oh, interesting. <laughs> because I grew up in a, a community that wasn't farming community, and I was a well, I was exactly the way that I am now. I haven't changed at all. So I would uh, I would wear a lot of heels at school too. So I was like kind of a weird in between. But my high school was very much like sports. Um, I, I don't really even know how to describe it, but there wasn't a lot of farming people. So they really thought that my like extreme love for cows was like super duper weird. And I'm assuming that's kind of the opposite for you. It's because you weren't a farmer or you weren't interested in that lifestyle. Yeah, there was definitely a heavy farming lifestyle. I mean, I literally went to school on a farm. Like there was animals and future, you know, FFA, the Future Farmers of America. And, yeah. and the farmers were cool. Like I didn't have a problem with them. Um, I, you know, my school was definitely people preppy people who wear like Abercrombie, you know, and, um, just, just wasn't, you know, I'm kind of like, I, I, I don't know, like my family, you know, my dad, my grandfather, my great grandfather all served in the military. My family's pretty awake about things in the world. I've always been very inquisitive and wanting to know about the, the big world around us and everybody around me was very much like small town you know most people i went to high school with like got married out of high school had families right away stayed at in state colleges or didn't go to college um you know went to work for the family company or something so i was just very different than people i wanted to go travel and explore the world and everybody around me was pretty much like this is great i want to you know a lot of people i went to school with ended up becoming teachers and they're working at the high school we went to i mean i just I mean, the thought of that just makes me want to, like, <laughs> just, I don't know. I mean, I I need to explore. I'm definitely a restless kind of person. I, I would be very miserable if I had to stay in my hometown forever, so. Yeah, I totally get that. That's why I left my hometown, because I saw, like, the trajectory the trajectory of most people in my hometown was just, like, either they go in trades or they go um do nothing really good in life there's a lot of that in like my high school of the people i graduated with and i moved pretty much immediately four hours away and i went to work on a dairy farm and um yeah i just i couldn't stay there i'll probably go back which is the interesting part like i i see myself going back because my dad has the farm and everything and you know i still have my cows there but <clears throat> Right now, I like living where I live and I like doing what I do. But yeah, I totally get that. So do you think that your experience in high school has shaped the way that like, you make friends and you interact with people? That's interesting you ask. I was thinking about this the, the other day. Um, I've always had like, a, you know, a friend here, a friend there, a friend here, a friend there. I've never been a part of a clique, I guess you can say. And... I, I've made a bunch of friends where I'm at, um, where I currently live, and they're not super close, but, you know, like, we hang out. We have girls' nights once a week and stuff, and um, one of my friends had a get-together last night, and I still felt like the outsider. Like, I still felt like the black sheep, like the kind of, you know, just the person who's kind of, like, in the group but still on the outside of the group, you know? And I was thinking this morning, I was taking a walk, and I was like, dang, like, I still feel that way. 
um, all these years later, like it really imprinted on me to, to be kind of like this. I mean, I have a lot of friends, but the funny thing is, is none of them are friends with each other. Like my best friend lives in Paris. My other friend lives in New Jersey. My other friend lives in California. I have another friend who's in Canada. So like they're all spread out. Um, everywhere and even though i have a lot of close bonds like I, I don't have like a click so i think um that's always been like a foreign thing to me you know these girls that kind of like stay friends with their high school friends and go on like big girls trips you know i have a friend in california who's very much like this like she has a big click of friends they always go on these big girls trips together like i've never had that experience um it's very foreign to me and um i think to some degree i'm a little bit of a loner um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm comfortable being alone because I think I'm just kind of used to it. Um, I like socializing and interacting with people, but, um, I think maybe it really imprinted on me, which is kind of interesting too, because when I lived in Arkansas, I had a clique of friends. I was really popular. People would fight over who got to sit next to me. Like I had no, I'd never experienced jealousy from another woman. I'd never experienced bullying. Like living in Arkansas was like this kind of utopia because my parents were together. I was playing sports. I was, I had like all these friends. Like I'd never had experienced sadness or rejection or anything like that until we moved to North Carolina. And then it was pretty much like the complete opposite experience happened to me where it was like rejection, humiliation, um, you know, being isolated, my parents being divorced, feeling like an outsider. So it really had a huge effect on me. Yeah, no, I I can totally see that because like for me, when I was in school, I was always like the weird, like socially awkward kid. And that's kind of like the way that it was. And I loved farming and I loved Harry Potter and all that stuff. And so I was like the geeky, nerdy. And also I didn't like, you know, I just didn't really fit in. And I went to school with a bunch of guys. Like I didn't have any girls in my class. Mm. And I think that kind of affected it a little bit because I didn't have any girls. And when I went to high school, then I was like, I didn't really fit in because I didn't go to school where all the guys went. I went somewhere else. And so I had to make new friends. And that, that's kind of the story of my life. Like everywhere I go, I have to start making new friends from like scratch. And it really sucks. I hate it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like this. Um, our childhood imprint kind of seems to follow us everywhere. In Buddhism, we call it our karma, you know, like until we transform the karma. And I mean, I have tried to transform this karma in many ways. I've put myself into, you know, this women's training at my Buddhist organization and I was a young women's leader and, and really try to be part of groups of women and, and participate in things like that. But um, I think I've broken through my karma to some degree, but it definitely, I, I noticed this morning that it's still very present in my life. Yeah, no, I, I think that like your childhood, that's why I asked these questions because um, I like knowing the history because, you know, people will polarize you. They'll make you th either good or bad and even like key figures, like, you know, we, we've talked about like Meghan Markle, Donald Trump, these people, they're more nuanced than we, than we make them out to be. And I think it's really interesting to know people's history and to know like their childhood and then, you know, coming into all these questions. So I wanted to ask you about your, uh, the college that you went to, you've, um, you've mentioned it. <laughs> Yeah, I went to the Fashion Institute, which was pretty much an all-girl 
experience. <laughs> there was a few guys there, which is very clever of them. You know, we had a few men. One of them came from Italy. We had a few from Turkey, one from India, because, you know, Turkey, Italy, India, fashion is, the garment industry is pretty big. And I'm like, how clever for a straight man to say, I'm going to the Fashion Institute for college, because it's like all pretty <laughs> women everywhere and like very little men. Um, oh, that is smart. <laughs> <laughs> the top of my head there was like four straight guys there that all the women were after because there was no one else you know and i didn't have that again that like the uh fraternity is it what what that's called the fraternity i have no clue i don't think we have that in canada <laughs> i think it's a fraternity, like a woman's fraternity i think yeah oh it's a sorority it's a sorority yeah i didn't have a sorority experience i don't even know like what like, do you apply for that? I don't even know, like, what the process is of getting into a sorority, but I didn't have that experience that people have when they go to college. And people asked me, like, do you wish you had the traditional college experience? Because my college was, um, I, I'm getting over being sick, so I'm a little stuffed up, but my college was in the middle of Chelsea, Manhattan on 27th and 7th mm. Avenue. So I went to college, like, smack dab in the middle of the city. And I mean, my dorm was there and um, it was not your typical <laughs> college experience, but I loved it. I, I can't imagine going to a typical normal campus. Yeah, totally. Um, so how did you, like, why did you want to go to that, that college? Um, well, I wanted to go to school for performing and my dad was like, I'm going to pay for you to go to college. You're going to go get a degree in something that's useful that you can have a fallback on. And I thought to myself, what could I do? And I love fashion. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to apply to go to fashion school. And FIT is one of the top fashion schools in the world. So, um, I applied, it was the only college I applied to. And my dad, we had gone to like an orientation about the school and I had applied to early action. And then we found out, I didn't know what that meant. We found out that early action was for transfer students from like Ivy League colleges and stuff. And that they only accepted like less than 10% of applicants. And I remember my dad like turned and looked at me and was like, you're not getting in here, you need a plan B. And I was like, no, I'm getting in. Like, this is where I'm going. And I was adamant, like there was no plan B for me. <laughs> and I remember, um, and I didn't sway from that belief. And I remember my dad came and knocked on my door and he's like, you got something in from FIT. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Like, I didn't know what to do. And I, I like opened up the door, like just a little bit to like peek through and like grab the mail and like shut the door on my dad. And then I opened it up and it was, you know, congratulations. And I remember my dad like had this, like, you know, he almost wanted to start crying. I could tell that he was so proud of me that I got in. and. Um, so yeah, it was a really amazing um, experience for the both of us. But um, but yeah, I, I wanted to study fashion. I wanted to work in fashion. I wanted to move to New York City more than anything. Um, you know, it's like the land of opportunity and different cultures. I love learning about different cultures of people, religions, anything, you know. And I felt like with Manhattan, it's like this never-ending learning school because life changes so much there. And there's so many people and every neighborhood is so different. And it was just a dream place for me to be. And that was the only option for me to go there. That's awesome. Um, what do you think about New York now? Do you, do you still like it? Yeah. You know, I haven't been back in a, a couple years. Um, it's changed. It's, it's changed so much. Like when I first moved there in 2007, 
you couldn't even pay for a cab with a credit card. You, you had to go to the bodega on the corner and pull cash out. And my dad would like call me and he'd be like, why are you pulling cash out from all these random bodegas? Because they would charge you a fee, like a $2 fee, $3 fee, whatever. So I was accruing all of these fees. And my dad, we had the same thing. And he was, you know, looking at what I was spending money on. And he's like, why are you, why are you wasting all this money? I'm like, dad, I need to take a cab and they don't take card. So, you know, nowadays you have a, not only a card machine, but you have Uber, you have Lyft, you have another thing called, um, what is it? There's another taxi option they only have in New York where you can go like anywhere in the city for $5. Is it Via maybe? Anyway. So, um, and when I first got there, I think the subway was like 175 per ride. And I think when I left, I think, I can't remember, I think it was like 250 a ride if I am remembering properly. But um, so that, that had changed. That was like a pretty interesting shift. But, um, you know, when I was in college and when I was younger, we didn't have Instagram. We didn't have any of this stuff. We only had Facebook and you could only have a Facebook if you were in college, like your grandparents couldn't be on there. And that was like when Facebook first came out is you had to have a college email in order to have Facebook. And, um, there was no such thing. I mean, maybe there was like match.com or something, but there was none of this. So when you went out, like men would talk to you, people were dancing, people were, you know, uh, talking to each other. It was very, um, an interactive experience. But now when you go out, it's like people are on their phones, they're filming things or taking pictures. Like, you know, people aren't talking to each other anymore. It's become much more, um, isolated or individualistic or something. So that's definitely different. Um, Prices, of course, have gone up. And I think, too, when I first moved there, different neighborhoods were much more like, you know, you'd go to Little Italy and it had its own little niche there. You'd go to Lower East Side and it had its little niche. And since it got so expensive, all of the, you know, old school shops or stores or restaurants got moved out. And then they start building, um, you know, very modern things, modern buildings, um, it's become very modernized everywhere. So I think the charm of New York has kind of left. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely changed for sure. Even like Central Park. I remember being in Central Park and talking to this woman who was a bird watcher. She said that birds from all over would come to New York, like hundreds of different species. And people would travel to New York City specifically to go bird watching. And wow. because we put up um, all of the 5G towers and stuff everywhere, all of the birds just like dissipated and she's like, the birds don't come here anymore. It's like empty. So, I mean, you know, just so many things about it. You can feel it too in the energy. I remember the last time I was in New York, I was taking a cab to the airport and we were going through Times Square and I looked out the window and like everybody was like walking so fast and had their head down or glued to their phones. And just like the energy felt really dark. Like people were just living to survive and they weren't really happy and everybody was in a rush to go somewhere. And it kind of lost that spark that it used to have for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, do you think, how do you think like phones and dating apps have changed this world? Um, in your opinion, cause I, I grew up with that. So I don't really know. I mean, I don't have a phone personally. I don't know if you know that, but um, because of that reason, um, I just don't like to be bothered by people, but <laughs> so how did, I think, um, 
I think everything has a double-edged sword, right? Like, I think dating apps are wonderful because, you know, I met my partner on a dating app. I met my ex on a dating app. I, I've met, like, guys on a dating app that ended up being a friend or a business acquaintance or, like, you know, I've networked through dating apps. So I think that they're, like, could be used really well. Um, and I know clients of mine who've met their boyfriends on dating apps, and I think it can be a wonderful way to connect to people. Cause I mean, look at the pandemic, like we couldn't meet anybody. So how else are you going to have some kind of interaction with people? Um, I think the apps and the social media has been helpful, but hurtful, right? You can grow a business online. Now you can work for yourself. Like I was just telling my business mentor that, you know, I'm coming out with this fashion line and I don't have to like pay for marketing or advertising for whatever. I can just live stream on my TikTok and show my clothes and get free marketing that way. Or I can have my friend who's like a big YouTuber do a video on it and like free marketing, you know? So it's really revolutionized the way we've done business and connected to people. But I think it's definitely made us more distant to each other. Like before you would get up and call your friend, what are you up to? What's going on? But now people are like, oh, I saw your Instagram story. Or like, I have a friend of mine. I'm never on Instagram, like ever. And every time I talk to her, she's like, oh, did you see my Instagram story today? I'm like, no, I don't ever go on there, you know? Um, so I think like it's helpful and hurtful. I think hurtful to the degree of, you know, when I first wake up in the morning, instead of doing my morning meditation or doing like a morning routine or whatever, the first thing I do is I check my social media. And it's like, it, it sets up your day like, not in the best way. You're not supposed to do that, but it's become such a habit, you know, and I think it can hurt relationships. You know, I think people have this idea of this kind of like endless, um, you know, pull of dating and people because they're on social media and it, it makes us believe that endless opportunities or openings and doors and stuff for like meeting potential mates or people, you know, I know cheat, they find people on like, you know, the Instagram model thing has become a big issue in relationships. The corn industry, as we know, has become a big issue and has only gotten worse due to like Instagram models and OnlyFans. So like, I think with everything, right? Like a, a beautiful, delicious piece of pie is amazing. But if you like eat it every day all the time, it's not good, right? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And for me, that's been a personal struggle is trying to get away from technology as much. And it's really hard because I work from home and, you know, I have all this, like this podcast, the brand, everything. It's just so much. And it's to the point where it's making me totally miserable, where I just want to take everything, throw it out the window. Yeah. But I can't really do that at the same time. So it's really like a struggle, but it's like trying not to like check your social media in the morning or at least when you first wake up. Like someone, one of the other podcasters I listen to, he always says, you should always, instead of going on your phone, go outside for 20 minutes. He says, you know, that's the best course. I'm going to try to do that, but it hasn't stopped raining. Yeah. <laughs> so, grounding and sun gazing in the morning. It's the best way to start your day. And we forget. And it's overwhelming. As you mentioned, it's so overwhelming. Like, you know, my partner's like, you need to get on YouTube. You need to get on Rumble. And like my other mentor is like, you need to get on Facebook, you need to get on Instagram. And I'm like, these are so many platforms that like, I'm having just a hard time like dealing with one and it's just me. And then I have my podcast and I have to edit and then I have to do videos and then live streams and I have my clients. And it's like, you know, and like, there's so much that goes into it. Like with YouTube, you have to create thumbnails and the SEO and the titles and like, 
you know, and it's like, when I think about it, it makes me just want to like curl up and not do anything, you know? And a lot of these creators have people that work for them, right? They have people yeah. that outsource things too, but um, yeah, it's overwhelming for sure. I mean, if I have the choice, you know, I, I was interviewed for another girl's podcast last week and she was calling me like a boss babe and stuff and like, oh yeah, like, but you're a career woman, you're a queen boss babe. And you know, I'm like, that's only because I kind of have to be like, yeah. you know, if, if I had the choice, I would be off grid. I would have a family I'd have a bunch of kids, um, have a little farm of my own. And <laughs> I would love to live like it was like 1900, you know, 1910 or something like that. I say that now, I don't know if I'd really enjoy it totally, but as long as I got to travel, I think I'd be happy. Yeah, no, I totally get that. And for myself, it's kind of that. I used to be a career woman and now I could care less. Even like Earth Cows, my company, it's like I'm kind of, I feel forced to do it because I know no one else is going to do it. And it's really essential to humanity to have this third alternative to food, especially with everything that's going on right now. So I feel like I was forced into by myself, by like, by just, you know, God, like putting this on me, but I much rather be like a wife and a mom and just, you know, I live the farm life. So, you know, I understand what it's like and I can definitely help you with that <laughs> if you ever want to farm. Yes. I mean, <laughs> purpose is important too, right? Like we can't just like sit at home and do nothing. We have to have a purpose that we're, you know, like you're helping people by your, with your company, with your farm and agriculture. Um, so your role and mission in this life is essential for humanity, right? For the evolution of humanity. So your role is really important and we can't, we can't relinquish that or we can't, um, you know, just ignore these things and our gifts. We can't ignore our gifts. Like we all have a gift to give. Um, and I have to, you know, show up every day to help people and serve people in whatever way I can, but it is exhausting. You know, I, I think that, for a lot of my 20s, I definitely did a lot of duty work for others, and I would like a decade of duty work to myself to follow my dreams and passions, and yeah. Yeah, so what are your dreams and passions? <laughs> so I have, I have a few. Um, one of them is I'm obviously passionate about fashion. I love vintage fashion in particular. I love corset. I love feminine dresses. I love nightgowns. Like I collect vintage nightgowns, which you can't find anything like them anymore. My mom actually used to have us pick out um, nightgowns every season from the Victoria's Secret catalog that would come in. And they'd have these really beautiful nightgowns that they don't really have anymore. And then my grandma, she had collected her mom's nightgowns from the early 1900s and she passed them down to me. So my grandma always wore nightgowns. You never see her in like, you know, sweatpants or anything. She always had a nightgown on. She loved the color pink. Um, so nightgowns for some reason have always been like a part of my life. So I would love to create a vintage nightgown line. I love baking. Um, I have a lot of passions. I love baking. I love cupcakes. Um, cherry cobblers, you know, anything sweet, cookies, caramel. Um, I would love to have like a bake shop for sure. Um, that's another part of my childhood that I really uh, cherish is every year for my birthday, my two of my grandmas, my one grandma would make me a homemade 
uh, angel food cake with homemade frosting. And every year she'd call and be like, Lexi, what, what color do you want your frosting to be? And I'd be like, I don't know, blue. I don't like the color blue. What about pink? <laughs> Fine, I'll do pink, you know. And even if I didn't want pink, she'd always give me pink cake. And then my other grandma had the original recipe um, to the red velvet cake from the Waldorf Astoria. So a lot of people think that red velvet cake comes from the South, but it actually originates from the Waldorf Astoria in New York City. And she has the original recipe. And it's really actually a very hard cake to make. But man, she would make the most amazing red velvet cake. And every day before school, I would always eat a slice of cake before class. So cake has always been another important part of my process. And I'd love to have a bakery. I also love singing and dancing. I was a performer growing up. So I would love to just play music. I love being in the recording studio, um, dancing. I love dance. I love performing. Um, and I also have a passion for, um, like, I love learning about herbs um, for, like, health and tinctures and um finding ways, like finding plants that like cure certain things. So like my one friend, she has a Kratom store um, and Kratom is like um, plant-based medicine. And she's always like putting together different concoctions for different things. And I, I find that to be really cool. So yeah, those are like some random passions of mine, but yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, um, I sing too, but not really prof professionally, just karaoke and stuff but what kind of uh what's your genre what kind of songs um, do you sing yeah so i have a broadway voice like all of my friends are like you need to be on broadway but you know i'm not a huge fan broadway is a hard you know it's definitely the, i think the hardest um niche to do because you're performing six nights a week and it's really hard on your body and um it wasn't always my favorite but i love um classical music. I love singing classical music. I actually really love singing, um, what I want to say, uh, what is it called? Um, Christian music. What is it called? Um, I think Christian music is Christian music. Yeah, but there's like <laughs> a word for it. Like, uh, not hymns, but, um, gospel, gospel music. Oh, okay. I love gospel music. I don't know why. Like, I love music that just like touches the soul. So, um, I originally started training classical um, with a guy named Jim in the Upper West Side, and he coached a lot of Broadway performers, and he was like 85 years old, still, you know, doing music. He'd studied with so many people. He had so much wisdom about the voice. So um, I, that's my favorite, and I like to sing jazz as well. I don't really have a radio voice or like a pop voice, uh, but jazz, classical, those are two of my favorite. No, that's awesome. Um, when I'm at karaoke, I love doing Highway to Hell. <laughs> I'm a big rock and roll person. Like, I love rock and roll. And I always sing Highway to Hell because I'll sing whatever song brings the crowd up. So you'll never see me singing Celine Dion, although I love her songs. But I love her. I actually saw her in concert. Oh, my God. I My mom, see, we used to go on, like, road trips all the time because, I mean, I was always traveling for sports, so we were always in the car. So music was a huge part of my life growing up because we would always, you know, sing songs in the car. My mom had all of Celine Dion's albums. <laughs> I would sing it to the top of my lungs. Like, still to this day, the song If You Asked Me To, my family all equates to me because when that song would come on, like, the world would stop. I'd tell everybody, be quiet the song is on and I would like sing it to the top of my lungs. So it's like still to this day, the song that makes all of my family think of me. So yeah, Celine Dion was 
like my idol. Like my stepmom is actually from Montreal. And I used to think it was so cool that she was from like where Celine Dion was from and, you know, her big wedding in Montreal. And I thought that was so awesome. But yeah, she was my idol growing up for sure. Yeah, for me as well, actually. Her and Mariah Carey. I'm actually seeing Mariah Carey in Toronto in December. As soon as they went on sale, I called my friend. And I was like, we're going to see Mariah Carey. Okay, bye. But yeah. You, you can't not love Mariah. Her 90s music was epic. I mean, her, I like Janet Jackson, Paula Abdul. I used to rollerblade to all of them. Uh, my mom is a really big uh, rock and roll fan. So I grew up also listening to a lot of rock and roll music she loves the eagles and um classic rock you know so and i love tina turner you know like tina turner's yeah. episode also yeah yeah no um i actually saw the eagles i saw I, i've seen a lot of concerts so um I but yeah i was growing up my parents my dad specifically loves rock and roll so he he and i that's like how we one of the ways we bonded we've bonded in many different ways but one of the ways was rock and roll and you know i was the only kid in class who did not know justin bieber or one direction or any of these boy bands and you know famous people like don't even ask me the words of them i have no clue what they are so i really and then i started singing when i was i don't know like 15 16 years old and the songs i would sing initially were Celine Dion, Mariah Carey, um, who else? Whitney Houston, who's a huge fan of hers. And then, you know, that type of genre. Yeah, I forget how much younger you are than me. So I grew up in the 90s when all of this was popular. So I didn't grow up with Justin Bieber or One Direction yeah. or um, any of that. So it's interesting that you like all that kind of music. It's, it's the best. Like, I love 90s voice to men, like... The music in the 90s was so good, and now it's like, mm, I mean, that's an understatement. It really, <laughs> really sucks. <laughs> I was at the club the other day, and I was like, what is this music? Like, where's the rock and roll? Where's, like, the good stuff? You know, it's just, like, really poor quality music. Even, you know, there's very few songs that I like from now. Very few. <laughs> My favorite club to go to is, like, an 80s dance club. Oh my God. Where is that? <laughs> we used to go to one in North Carolina. I just I had a blast. Like best time still after all the clubs I've gone to in New York City. My favorite club is this 80s dance club we used to go to in North Carolina. So fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to ask you some questions about how you got into the work that you do now with divine femininity and coaching women. Um, how did you go from you know, the Fashion Institute to working with women on that? Yeah, it's kind of a strange jump, isn't it? Um, well, you know, I worked in fashion for a few years and it's definitely not a glamorous job like people would think. I feel like fashion is only for me, for me personally, I would only like working in fashion if I was a designer and I was making the clothes. The other stuff I could really care less about. Um, and it also doesn't really pay very well. So um, I worked in it for a few years and kind of, I moved into entertainment. I also worked in real estate. I worked for a little bit with United Nations. I've done a lot of like random jobs like you do in New York. Cause you gotta like do a bunch of stuff to make money. Um, and through the process of all of that, I became Buddhist when I was 20, about 20. 
yeah, like 2010. Um, and I started this whole spiritual process of, you know, as we say in Buddhism, doing my human revolution and um, really learning about myself, about spiritual law, about religion. Um, I just really studying all kinds of stuff and um, wanted to know, you know, my, as I mentioned, my parents had a divorce and I didn't want that to happen to me. And I wanted to learn like, what are men's needs? Like I wasn't really taught um, what men need in a relationship. I was taught to go be an independent woman and, you know, not depend on a man, right. And, and get an education. So I was curious, like, how do I make a relationship work? Um, what do men, what are men's needs in a relationship? And so I started studying a lot about relationship and love. And, um, I studied with a woman named Natalia Kalbukina, who I really love and adore. She's a Russian sexologist and psychiatrist or psychologist, I believe. Um, and really doing the work for myself, really, because I had, I was in a bad relationship and just felt like I was clueless, you know, like, like a lot of us are blind in relationships. We don't know, like we're trying to navigate a relationship and just don't know what we're doing. Um, so I really did it for myself to start. And then I started coaching people um, just kind of by nature. I, I like to help people. So I would help my friends. I would give advice to people. Um, I've always been really intuitive. I've had prophetic dreams my whole life. Um, my grandmother was also like pretty psychic. So I've always been really intuitive and aware of things. And I started doing spiritual coaching first um, and intuitive coaching. Um, and then I started doing more feminine coaching because actually what happened was um, a guy that I had dated years prior had called me and he was like, you know, Lexi, there's no feminine women like you anymore. Like I'm going on dates and I can't find a woman like you so feminine. Like you need to help women out there. And it's like a light bulb went off of my head. And I was like, yeah, like maybe that is a calling of mine. Maybe I can help women to become more feminine. Um, and that kind of started the whole process of me doing this work. That's awesome. So I wanted to ask you, I know I'm kind of, we're kind of a little bit all over the place, but I wanted to ask you, how was your experience working with celebrities in Hollywood from what you can tell us? <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I would say, you know, I worked with, I worked for Lady Gaga for two of her tours and, um, I worked with her parents who her dad manages her and her mom runs her Born This Way Foundation. So I worked with the foundation, um, and worked on more of the manage management side to things. Um, and her team was amazing. Her team was amazing and her parents were amazing. And I have nothing bad to say about the experience with them. Um, it was interesting, definitely an interesting experience on the other side. And, um, you know, I, I obviously signed an NDA, so I can't say too many like personal things, but, um, I wish I could say a couple things and it's not, it's nothing to slander her at all, but just some like aha moments I had, um, working with her. I should probably read my NDA and see, like, I know those expire at some point, but her mom had said something to me that, that I think would help people. And I wish I could talk about, um, that I don't know, you know, maybe I, I can say, I don't know, but anyway, Lady Gaga had, she had said something in one of 
her interviews that if you are choosing between love and your career, choose your career because it won't wake up one day and tells you and tell you it doesn't love you anymore. I don't know if you remember her saying that. Um, I didn't know she was the one who said that, actually. Yeah, yeah. And I remember saying that to her mom, like, you know, I really liked, you know, I was much younger at this point when I worked with them. I was like, yeah, I thought it was like really cool that she's like this career woman. And her mom kind of said, you know, I think if you were to ask her today, like what her opinion would be, she would choose love. And I thought that was interesting that um, she had kind of, you know, at least from her mom's point of view, was that her daughter really wanted love. And I think you can kind of see that with her too. Like she seems to really value love and wants to be married and have a family and stuff. Um, so that was an interesting observation. Um, and I think like the touring life can be quite um, isolating and lonely, uh, which she portrayed in her her um, her documentary that she did. So that was, you know, you kind of idolize these people or think they have like the best life and the coolest life. And then you kind of, and I'm not to say her life wasn't cool because it definitely is, is cool, but, um, you know, you kind of see the, the difficulties of it, that they have the same struggles we have, just different struggles um, or different, they struggle in different capacities, I guess you could say, whereas like some people are, are overworked working till 10 p.m. where she's overworked working long hours, long tours, being away from her loved ones for a long period of time is much more difficult, I think. Um, other celebrities, on the other hand, <laughs> um, I've noticed um, that a lot of celebrities don't want to pay people. They think that it's a privilege to work for them because they're famous they are giving you an opportunity that you're working for them and they're like a god so why do they have to you know pay because because i'm offering you this amazing experience you'll get nowhere else so why why should we pay you you know um very much entitled a lot of entitlement in hollywood um high demands they want you to work for free and also work for them 24 7 out of the week and not have a life outside of it i don't know how they expect you to pay your bills in that capacity but um and also a lot of celebrities are very insecure people not happy at all you know like we see people who look amazing at 50 and uh just seem like they have it all together and then you kind of learn about them behind the scenes from working in the business and you're like huh you know and you learn about other celebrities who are working in the business and, you, and then you get a different observation that they're nothing like what they portray on screen that they're actually the complete opposite and i did a video about one of these celebrities on my TikTok. but um you start to kind of i think when you work in hollywood you start to see them as just like you know i think when you maybe when you're younger you're like oh these cool people i think it's like that whole like um idolization culture or something um and you stop doing that when you work in it yeah yeah no i can totally see that um what was i gonna ask okay so you've you've worked for lady gaga and I, i'm sure that was an amazing experience i actually really like her she's like one of the few celebrities i can stand because i can't stand most of them um she's very yeah. smart and articulate and insightful yeah yeah and she's had a very tumultuous like love life too i think which is really interesting she gets engaged like every three years <laughs> yeah yeah but her parents are still married she comes from a tight-knit family and grew up 
in this, you know, condo on the Upper West Side that her parents still live in. And um, they have a very, you know, like close-knit family, which is nice. So um, she was privileged, I think, to, to a big degree that, you know, her dad and her mom really supported her career and pushed her in her career and supported her financially while she was um, pursuing this path and paid for her vocal lessons and her education. And um, she really had, and I think a lot of celebrities who make it have this um, privilege. A lot of them have their parents that support them and, and stay together and um, really push them. And a lot of them get successful because of the support of their family. So that was really also an eye-opening thing too, is um, I think in America, we live in this culture where when you're 18, like your parents like shove you out of the house and it's like, bye kid, like figure it out, you know? And, uh, and, 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 and a lot of people who make it, they make it cause they have the support of their family and um, both their parents. And um, they have that kind of like that nurturing around them to make things happen. Of course, not every celebrity who's made it, but I think it's a really good foundation for success. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, now you work in femininity. And um, can you describe what Archetypes is? Because I know that's kind of your brand on TikTok. Yeah, so Archetypes uh, come from Carl Jung originally. And um, I have a chipmunk outside who's making noises. <laughs> um, and I learned about Archetypes from Natalia Kolbikina, who I mentioned before. And I believe there was like a Russian book that, I forget the name of it because I haven't read it, but somebody had posted about it the other day that had done a lot about the archetypes as well, similar ones that I talk about. But I learned about it through Natalia several years ago. And it was like this eye-opening awakening that I had because I'd always thought I was supposed to be like queen bee, boss babe. And then I realized like, wait, you know, because I, I, I don't think I'm naturally like that but I had to force myself into this role. And then I realized like, wait, that's not who I am. And that's okay. I can be the girl lover archetype and I can attract in the right archetype of man. Because when I was trying to be queen, I attracted in the manager archetype who wasn't right for me. And it was a horrible relationship. And I finally found like a sense of self-acceptance of who I was and like what I needed in a relationship and who I need to like choose. And it really like changed my life. And I was like, and I started doing videos, you know, on, you know, how to attract in like, you know, a, a good man, high value man, what they call, um, who, you know, to me just means like a, a good man in all facets, not just financially, but spiritually, emotionally, all, all the above, but good character. Um, and there's not a one size fits all for that. And some men, like my friend's boyfriend came over the other day uh, with her for dinner and he had watched my videos and he's like, wow, like I'm a hundred percent a manager archetype, you know? And it, it was almost like I could see it in his eyes too. Like he had this awakening and he's like, what woman is best for me? And I started telling him and he's like, yeah, like that is what I need, you know? And it was like, he was really like processing this information. And, you know, some people I can really fit into like, you're exactly this archetype. Some people are like kind of a blend. Um, but I think it's helpful for people to know when they're dating. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, like when I first started listening to your content, which was like way before you followed me, <laughs> I was like pretty excited about that when you followed me. Um, 
But anyways, I was sending my friend who own her dad owns a towing company and she's very involved in that. And she's a queen. Like she's a queen through and through. And I was sending her another creator's videos, which was like about like being a stay at home mom. And it was totally not helping her at all. And yeah, then I stumbled. She would get so angry and she's like, you know, I, I was like, you need to change your whole life. Anyways. So that was, that was the beginning of my awakening. But then I, I started sending her your videos and I was like, okay, maybe, maybe your problem is that, you know, obviously like, don't listen to me or anything I said prior to you, listen to these videos about the archetypes and stuff like that. And she really like saw, she's like, oh my God, like it kind of awakened her to like, you know, I can, you know, be a boss, babe, be a queen. And then I was the opposite. I don't want to be a queen. I don't want to be a boss, babe. And if I am, it's against my will. <laughs> well, there's a time and a place for it, right? In work, we have to, we have to exercise our queen energy and work. Um, but a lot of women don't know how to leave that queen and come home and, and switch out of the queen. Some women are just naturally, like my sister is a queen mother. She's always been a queen mother archetype um, since we were kids, really, you know? And she's, to me, the quintessential queen mother. She, like, fits it to a T. And um, I'm very much a girl lover. And I can't sit here and tell my sister that you need to be more feminine. You need to care about, you need to be wearing dresses. Like, my sister looking like I'm crazy because that's not her. Right. So I didn't want to do content that was, I mean, a lot of people do for like the niche women, but I kind of wanted to help all women and not tell women like you need to stay home and be in the kitchen and have kids because not every woman is meant for that life. And I think I mentioned before in one of our podcasts that like, you know, women need to be represented in power also and in government. So I think like 50% power of women and 50% power of men to have voices of both genders is needed. I don't think it should be all men. I don't think women sh all should go back into the kitchen. I think some women have the gift of um, empowerment. They have the gift of having the voice for the people. They have the gift of, you know, my one friend, she's like a brilliant businesswoman. She loves running businesses. She's, she's so smart, so good at it. I couldn't tell her to like, stop doing that. You know, she wants to have kids, but she even told me, the other day, she's like, even if I had kids, she's like, I don't think I could ever give up working. She thought she could, but she's, it's not in her nature. She likes it too much, you know, and I can't sit here and tell her you're wrong for that, you know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And with my friend, like, that was what I was doing. Not, I wasn't telling her, like, you need to stay home, but I was like, you need to be more feminine and you need to, you know... I, I always tell her like the type of man that like you are who you attract. And I still believe that like to a T 100%. I tell my friends that all the time. And you know, that's sometimes can be a little bit hard to hear because it takes a lot of self-responsibility. But um, with her, I used to like, you know, send her another creator's video. And then finally I started sending yours and it kind of, she was like, you know what? Like I do relate a lot more to your like, your videos than the other creators because the other creators was probably more suited, suited to my type of like what I want, but not really what, you know, my friend wants. What kind of men does she attract? Um, <laughs> and well, I don't have a huge, like love them for the men, but you know, unavailable, those type of men. Oh, interesting. 
Are yeah. they feminine men? Uh, I wouldn't say they're feminine. They're, they're pretty masculine, I would say. So the queen has to be with more feminine men because if a queen is in her masculine energy, she's going to repel the masculine. Whereas the masculine men might use her for like sex. Um, yeah. They won't commit to that kind of woman. So they need more of a like soft kind of man. I had a client who's a queen mother and she wanted a ruler. And I was like, you know, well, I can help Don't you. Don't we all? There, you know? <laughs> can help you to get there and she and i told her i said you know rulers are the kind of men they want you to follow them they're in control everything's on their terms and their schedule and she didn't really believe me and then she went to this conference and met a bunch of rulers and she called me like the next week and was like you know they're interesting like they want everything to be on their terms and their time and me to follow them and me to drop everything for them and i said i told you she's like yeah i don't think this is going to work for me and what was interesting was she ended up attracting in two men one is the manager the other's a ruler, and her and the ruler just go at it all the time, always butting heads. I said, I told you this is how it's going to be because rulers and queens don't mix. You're going to do best with the manager, and the manager guy is so soft and sweet and loving, and he gets her to, like, soften up and, like, you know, and, and like, it's a way better fit for her. And before she's yeah. like, I don't want a manager. I don't want a soft, I want a strong leader. And I'm like, you're, you're too much that way already. You need a man that's going to compliment you. Yeah. And I think that like most women would want the ruler type just like subconsciously because they're masculine, you know, they dominate you and all of that. But you have to realize if you have that, you have to let go. And, and for me, most of my life, like I was definitely like a boss babe career. Like my parents... Uh, my dad and my, my mom, but specifically my dad, really encouraged me to be, like, independent and all of that. And then one day I come home, like, a year ago, and I was like, yeah, I just want to find a man that can provide. And, like, it was like a sudden switch in my life that I just realized by watching your videos and, and Jordan Peterson and, and a few other creators on TikTok. You know what? Like, why do I want to live like that? You know, I'm unhappy. I don't like working for other people. Um, you know, I like doing what I do, which is like making TikTok videos and like going on Twitter and like sending out a few tweets and the podcast and stuff like that. Like, I like that type of life, You're but I don't. Yeah, I like, you know, and I like wearing dresses. That's something else I realized actually like by accident because I stopped fitting in my pants and I had all these dresses and I was like, well, I'll still fit it, fit in that, uh, fit in that. And then I started wearing them and I was like, damn, like I actually like wearing that. So I always wear dresses now. It's yeah. much more comfortable. Yeah. yeah. And it, like, <laughs> go ahead. I was going to say, I think a lot of women think they want to be with a ruler. It sounds good in theory. Like a lot of things sound good in theory, but rulers are very challenging men to deal with. And there's also a, a small percentage of them and they can be very difficult. And a lot of them operate out of their shadow as a tyrant leader. And um, they can be hard, you know, whereas managers are much more accommodating and loving and romantic and, and they can still be dominating in the bed from what I hear from my, from my uh, client. So, you know, I, I think you can have both sides to them, but the managers really need to be with a woman who's a career boss babe. Like they want to be with a woman that they can like look up to and idolize. So they wouldn't really do well with a woman who 
doesn't really want a career. They'll be the kind of guy that will leave you when you're a stay-at-home mom and you're not doing anything. Well, yeah. I don't say not doing anything, but I mean like in, in a career. That's interesting. So what archetypes do you think you are? Well, you I think you've said it, girl lover, right? What am I? <laughs> Please look up girl lover. <laughs> I don't know. I don't I, I I guess I'd have to like work with you. Um I think I kind of bounced around. See the I guess the goal is is to develop all four archetypes within you as a woman. And I think I have a pretty good blend of all of them. Like I can definitely be a queen. I can definitely be a mother. I can be the lover and I can be the girl. Whereas some women um, are really strong. Like I actually had one client who was just a girl archetype. She hadn't really developed the other three. Um, and that's really what the empress is, is the empress embodies all four energies of women, which is, you know, the lovers like water energy, the lover, the girl is water energy. The lover is fire. The, um, the queen is, uh, air and the mother is earth. So it's like all four elements of life. Right. Um, mm -hmm. so the girl mother is like very feminine and creative, but she's also very wise and very practical. And she's a woman who sees a vision to, well, the girl mother is more so family focused, um, but she has this kind of ability to um, pass down wisdom to her children and has a love for the earth and a love for people. Um, so I kind of, I'm a little bit of a girl mother, but I'm also a girl lover too. So I would say like, um, from what I know about you, I'd say maybe you're a girl mother because uh, yeah, you're... I actually, I actually yeah. agree with that. And um, I took a car archetype quiz not long ago and I don't remember what archetype it was, but there was like eight of them. And they said I was like Audrey Hepburn. And I was like, that sounds about right. <laughs> but yeah, I agree with that. I, I agree with the girl mother thing. I was actually, because I know I'm not a girl lover. I know I'm not, I can be a queen. Don't get me wrong. When it comes to politics, when it comes to what I want, sometimes it's like, rah, or like I go at people, you know, like I definitely have that energy, but it's not like in my core, I agree with like girl mother. My partner calls me Miss Passionate because I can be very too, you know. Yeah, and like you know, I'm very well. I'm a very law like because I'm a paralegal, which is um, I don't know if you watch Suits, Meghan Markle's show, but a paralegal would be a mother archetype for sure. Sorry, a, a paralegal would be definitely a, fits the the mother archetype. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a paralegal in in Ontario, and um, I'm definitely very structured, like a paralegal. Like I would have been a great para paralegal if it wasn't for my hate for offices and love for cows. <laughs> well, it's good to know. But yeah, yeah, where you stand. Yeah, no, I, I definitely do know. I just wasn't really sure of my archetype. I knew I was a girl something, but I, I don't really know anything about lover and. And mother, which brings me into my next question. Can you describe the types of archetypes for men and women? Yeah, kind of. Um, it might take a while. I don't really have that much time left. No, um, that's okay. Um, well, just in, in brief, um, the girl lover queen mother is kind of the continuation of womanhood. The girl is when you're like innocent and creative and naive a little bit and uh, fun and that kind of thing. 
uh, the lovers, when you have like your sexual awakening, when you use your sex appeal, when you're, um, yeah, when you use your sex appeal, essentially, when you like to love, when you like relationships, when you are a seducer and that kind of thing. Um, like Marilyn Monroe is like a quintessential girl lover, you know, she's very like naive and playful and creative, but, and, um, fun, but also has that like sex appeal to her. Um, then you have the queen and that's when you decide you want to be independent and you want to follow your dreams and you have a goal and standards and you're always raising the bar for yourself and, and bettering yourself. And, um, the mother is when you have wisdom, she's a practical woman. She knows how to keep a husband and children. She knows how to save money. She knows how to uh, be wise with her money. Um, and the queen mother is, you know, she's her own element. The queen lover is her own element, girl mother, girl lover. So there's the blend and those have different elements to them as well. And then um, for men, you have your two masculine archetypes, which is your ruler and your manager. The ruler is like your, you know, Real estate investors, financial investors, uh, your politicians, you know, men that want uh, power in the world, that want to have influence in the world. They're very uh, cold, uh, but they're very emotional with their women. Um, they can be very romantic behind closed doors, but very stoic in real life. They typically don't have a lot of friends, you know, they have a close, tight-knit circle, and they're very much driven for their mission. Um, entrepreneurs are much more friendly, outgoing, fun guys, a lot of athletes, they're the adrenaline junkies. So a lot of athletes are entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs sometimes are entrepreneur archetypes, not always. Um, you're Richard Branson, you know, you're, um, you're men that like to travel. They like freedom. They're kind of like your typical man's man. They like sports, they like to, you know, eat food and like, you know, it's kind of like your typical guy, I guess is that. And then the manager archetype is a man who is like your champion kind of guy who, you know, he, he would be like your men who like go to like feminist rallies and fight for a cause, you know, managers kind of like to champion a cause and, um, they're social climbers. They like to be around influential people. A lot of them are teachers, orators, influencers, podcasters, um, men who like to teach and share a message. They're kind of, they can be a little bit lazy um, in their shadow, and they definitely dream of being rich, but a lot of times don't have the um, capacity to make it happen or the energy to make it happen. Um, and they're also actors. You know, they're the actors, the creatives, um, the men that bring in, like, fun and adventure, too, just like the entrepreneur. Um, they're the guys that are going to be fun to go out with, and um, they like to you know, go out of the house and explore and um, schmooze, I guess, with people. Um, and then you have your creator who is uh, the really smart, he's the smartest archetype, but he's kind of a homebody. Um, he has a vision that he wants to create, but a lot of times he lives a lot in his head and he needs the queen to help him bring his dream to reality and root it um, in the earth. Um, he is a man that uh, is a visionary, like an Albert Einstein or Salvador Dali type, um, that is very innovative and wants to create something that no one's ever seen before. Like, I, I think like James Cameron is probably a creator and they're not very social. They are homebodies. They like to be at home. Um, that's their safe place. A lot of artists are also creator archetypes and, um, and they need a woman in their life to help them essentially. So they, them and the managers kind of, well, I guess they all kind of need a woman, but 
the crater especially in the shadow of the crater is kind of like the loser guy that like never leaves his mom's house and like plays video games in the basement and never realizes his potential because he's really insecure so they all have a shadow like a bad aspect to them like the shadow of the manager would be like the peter pan who doesn't want to grow up or like the gigolo who uses women for money which we see that a lot um and like the shadow of a ruler would be like a tyrant leader you know an abusive leader um that kind of thing yeah that's very interesting and my last question if you still have time yeah yeah okay so do you think that childhood um just childhood history the way that we were raised um affect the archetypes that we grow into kind of sort of i think to a degree yes um but i think that we all have our own true nature of who we are that we can't escape from like i've always been a girl lover type um well i, I wouldn't say like the lover type because that kind of happens when you get older but i've always been a girl for sure i've always dreamed of being a mother i loved having my dolls um i loved being creative i loved having fun i've always been a little bit naive um and gullible <laughs> and um innocent i guess which is the girl archetype and um my mom wanted me to be a queen and i think for a few years as an early adult i tried to be a queen because of how i was as you mentioned as i was programmed by my family to be and i tried to be that and um pushed against my own calling to some degree um and it was always difficult for me when you push against who you truly are, life is difficult. My sister never liked dolls, never liked any of this kind of stuff. My sister's always been, um, she's a queen mother. She's always been very much about school education. She went, got her master's degree. She's been at the same job at the veterans hospital for like, I don't know, 15 years, um, never changed. Well, she's changed her position there, but she's been in the same company. Uh, she's been very solid, very, you know, I've been kind of all over the place, like this creative black sheep in my family, whereas my sister's been very pragmatic, very practical. The queen, well, the mother is very practical. Um, again, not really, um, the girl is very compassionate and loving and, and that kind of thing. My sister, you know, is not really like that, you know. Um, she's not like a, a, a mean and cold person, but she's definitely not one of these lovey-dovey type people and she's never really been that way you know when i was a kid i loved performing and i would drag my sister into performing groups with me she hated it you know that wasn't her thing so again like i could try to make you know my sister will call me sometimes be like you know help me with makeup or what should i wear or whatever but you know she's a jeans kind of gal i don't wear jeans i don't even own a pair of jeans you know she's more the girl next door my sister i've never been that way i've always loved makeup and girly things and dresses and playing dress up and my grandma would make me like dresses for my dolls and then she would make me a matching dress and it was like my favorite thing my sister she would hate that you know so we're very different by nature we were raised by the same woman um but i think you know it, it can influence you to a degree but i don't think it can change who you are in your nature 
Yeah, no, that's true. I actually, the more you're talking, the more I realize how much of a girl I am. If you asked me two years ago, I would have said I was a queen, but like I was very much into the dolls and cows. They, you know, I would dress up my chickens. I actually one year dressed up my chicken into like a wedding dress and I put her in a fair with the dogs in a dog show and everyone was pissed at me because my chicken won every single award. Yeah. She won every single. I was like, that's the cutest thing ever. I was so happy to see that. Yeah, not the dog ladies. Like, they were pissed. I think they all quit the next year because they were like, this girl brought her chicken in a wedding dress. And then the dogs were all confused. And they were like, what the hell? What the hell is going on here? And um, yeah, I won like all the prizes because like the lady was like, "I I just can't like not award your chicken all the prizes i love it (laughs) but yeah i just like i was like a very animal type person very i loved my dolls um my mom was also like loved her dolls she was pissed that i didn't play as much as she did in her life but i was like i don't need to i have all these cows and chickens outside like why would i want to play with dolls but i did play a, a bit with them um but yeah yeah, it's interesting when you find out your archetype and, and then you can embrace it. You know, you can embrace your your nature. I love embracing my girl nature. Now, I wouldn't do that at a job. Well, I mean, I haven't worked a normal job in forever. But, I mean, I would use my girl charm definitely in some instances. But, um, you know, the girl kind of gets taken advantage of because she's so gullible. And my family used to always laugh at how gullible I was. I mean, my sister told me to to trap a bee in my hand and make it my friends. And like I did, like, I was like, sure. Okay, cool. And then it stung me, you know? Um, but I just kind of like went through life with rose colored glasses on, which was also dangerous because, you know, I, I look at people as everybody's good. And I think I've learned to kind of be better at that. Um, but I've definitely, yeah, it's definitely, gotten me into trouble being a girl whereas my sister is much more um i don't want to say suspicious but um cautious much more Mm -hmm. cautious practical um you really gotta like earn her trust where it's like i meet you shake your hand and it's like hi you know like i you know nice to meet you and whatever comes out of your mouth i'm gonna believe um, whereas my sister is much more weary, but, um, but yeah, you know, it's fun to embrace your, your girl nature. Yeah, it is. And like, I have to go in, like, I work from home, but I have to go in the office for like four days in December and I'm like planning all my dresses. I'm like, I'm no, like, I'm no longer wearing pants. <laughs> my pants days are over. <laughs> I'm going yeah, in dresses. One of my clients called me the other day and, and she, since working with me, has done the same thing. She like threw out all of her pants and started, she works in finance and started wearing dresses. And she's like, Lexi, everywhere I go, men are like, you're a breath of fresh air. And like, she's getting complimented all the time and men are treating her differently. And, um, she's like, you know, she called me like a couple of days ago and she's like, you know what? I thought the other day, she's like, jeans are a scam. They're a scam <laughs> for women. And I'm like, yeah, I think the same. And she's like, you should do a TikTok about it. Um, but she's having this like revolution, you know, like throwing away her pants and, and wearing skirts and dresses. 
I mean, it's definitely re- revolutionary. Like, I have a temptation of throwing all my pants away, but I still have to milk cows once in a while, and I don't want to do it in a skirt, so I'll keep those for that. But, um, yeah, I definitely, like, I definitely don't use jeans anymore. I don't even know the last time. Like, last week, I went to an event with my dad, and my dad was like, why are you wearing a dress? And I was like, why wouldn't I? Like... <laughs> The interesting thing, too, is we don't think about this is, you know, back in the day when women wore dresses, they wore stockings, they they had to walk with great posture, they had to sit down properly, they had to have good etiquette. But now that women aren't used to wearing dresses and stockings and stuff, and they're used to wearing jeans, now their etiquette and the way they walk and the way they sit down is not as graceful because it doesn't have to be because you can spread your, your legs wide open with pants on and no one's going to see anything because you're wearing pants, right? So women are like, you know, sitting really un, um, you know, unladylike, unladylike, yeah, uh, getting in and out of cars, unladylike, just moving around in the world, unladylike, because they've been programmed and trained to wear pants, and it doesn't program them to, them to be ladies, like if you're wearing a dress. So, um, in a part of one of my programs, I have uh, a prima ballerina who teaches. Uh, this special kind of floor bar. She's one of six people in the world that is trained in this kind of floor bar. And it helps women um, with their um, muscles in their legs, with posture, uh, with all kinds of stuff to be more ladylike. She goes over this really funny exercise that like, she's like, you know, we're going to do this like we're getting into our boyfriend's Lamborghini and we're going to get out and in and out. And it's, she's so funny. But um, yeah, one of my programs that I have um, that I'm actually launching in a couple of weeks for a group of of women um we're gonna have a small group of women who want to sign up um to work with me basically for seven weeks and she's gonna be part of it it's gonna be really fun i haven't even advertised it yet but um it's gonna be at a lesser cost than what my workshops are usually because it's gonna be a group of women instead of one-on-one so i just want to throw that out there for any women who want to participate and yeah yeah so um i will obviously put all of your links in my bio and in my YouTube description and Rumble. I'm going to put this probably a lot of places. So um, you can find Alexi at Empress Collective on TikTok. And I believe your website is alexiturner.com. And yeah, I'll put all those links in in my bio. Thank you, Clarina. So awesome talking to you as always. Thank you so much for coming. Yes. And um We'll see each other again on the next podcast we do together. Yes, we will. Okay. Have a good night. You too. Bye.